Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, it's all about you. We're going to take your phone calls and answer your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag as well. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So over the last couple of weeks and over the next couple of weeks, Darren and I have been kind of rotating in and out of the studio here and then traveling throughout the countryside. So this week I was in Montana, Minnesota, North Dakota, just doing a, a number of different meetings with farmers out there. So it's been a lot of fun. So if you were at any of the meetings that I spoke at, thanks a lot for being there. Appreciate that. It's always fun talking to farmers, especially one-on-one. We get a lot of different questions, just like we do in the Ag PhD mailbag. I'm, I'm, I'm happy and uh, I, I just feel honored to get the questions that we do and to have people look to us for advice and for answers. And one of the things that I often say is the more you can generate your own data on your farm and really study that and analyze that, then you know what works and what doesn't work. And so one of the big things that we've been doing on our farm here in the last five years is we've done one-acre grids for soil testing. And I'm not saying everybody has to go to one-acre grids. You have to spend a zillion dollars on soil testing. But we love doing this for two reasons. Number one, the crop's worth a lot of money. And if I can fine-tune my fertility program, we will make more money. And this did turn out to be our very best year ever on our farm. And I do credit part of that to the soil testing we do. But the other reason that we like doing these one-acre grids is we can generate a ridiculous amount of data. So Darren and I were talking about this just a little bit ago. He called me as he was on his way from one meeting to the other. Or maybe I called him. But anyway, the point is, we're talking about this, and I said, you know, on our farm, well, we farm like 3,500 crop acres. We aren't soil testing every single acre every year. I mean, we try to. And I think we did get it all done this year, but some years don't quite get there. So let's just say on average, we're getting 2,500 grid points per year. So 2,500 acres tested every year. We've done this for five years in a row. That's 12,500 data points. And what we're doing is when we do these soil test grids, and you can do this exact same thing. Here is how you should soil test. When you have that I don't care if it's one acre, two and a half acre, five acres, or if it's a zone. I don't care. But you have to have a GPS point, and then you sample right around that point. The reason why that's so important is because we want to take that GPS point, and now you would, of course, then have soil test data from that, and you compare that data to yield. So now we've got all the different things, whether it's phosphorus or potassium or zinc or any nutrient and for that matter, even ratios. I got my phosphorus to zinc ratio and copper, phosphorus to copper ratio and anything I want. I've got that compared to yield on 12,500 data points. So it's very common to see research done where it's a few strip trials. It's three or five or, boy, if somebody has lots of data, they have 20 trials or maybe even 50. I got 12,000. 1,500 data points on my farm, 
five years, so it's multi-year, multi-field, multi-soil type. It's awesome. And the reason why I'm talking to you about this today is when you're going out there with your combine, you're generating data. I mean, assuming that this is you have GPS and you're you're using a yield monitor and stuff, but you don't just have to look at that pretty yield monitor or maybe not so pretty yield monitor map. What you can do is pull the raw data out of there and compare it to all your soil tests. So one of the things that Darren and I and our research people have been working on here for the last, oh, really several years is trying to get a system so we can have it so it's easy so anybody can use this thing and you can just upload your data and bam now you've got charts and graphs and you can see what pays and what doesn't so for example i one of the big things that i've been talking to people about is potassium and i know if you listen to the show you're probably sick of hearing about potassium but it's the reason why i talk about it so much just like why i talk about tile so much is because it's made our farm crazy amounts of money and we didn't understand potassium we didn't understand it 20 years ago kind of understood it 10 years ago, but today, oh my goodness, I've got the data to show you the level of K I need to be at on my farm to maximize yield. And it's nowhere close to the level I thought it had to be. We need really good potassium levels in the soil, and then our yield's just a lot better. And I don't care if I'm talking corn or beans. I don't care if it's a wet year or a dry year. We're showing more potassium pays. So I'm not saying that for sure on your farm this is going to be the case but i am saying and i think you see where i'm going on this i've been generating all this data why not match it up why not match up the yield to what we're doing for soils and then you have your own data and all of a sudden you don't listen need to listen to anybody even me you have your own data and it's powerful information so that's that's been one of the biggest things that I've been talking to people about this winter, and I'm going to continue talking about it because the more we can utilize the data we're generating already on our own farms, the more we're going to figure out for our soil types and our weather conditions and the way we like to farm what makes money. And that's really the goal here. Also, when we talk about making money, well, a lot of it goes to making more yield spending money the appropriate way so we're not just wasting money on expenses but then the other side of it is doing the right thing for the land too and keep in mind when we raise more crop we've now created more roots we've created more ability to pull carbon dioxide out of the air we've created the ability to generate more organic matter in the soil to store more carbon to build our soil more effectively to make our soil richer so there are a lot of great things with all that well anyway we're going to get to your phone calls and answer your questions right after this on farmer friday stay tuned when it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress there's revitech fungicide <laughs> and there's everything else when it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday. This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We'd love to take your phone call. The number's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Josh did, is called in. He's from North Dakota. Hey, Josh, how are you today? Good, how about you? Excellent. So, uh, getting a little cold up in your state of North Dakota, so uh, so what are you working on at this time of the year up there? Oh, I'm just cleaning in the uh, in the garage right now and listening to the first part of your show, I'm thinking I should probably go back and look at some of the yield data I've got on my, my uh, John Deere operation center. <laughs> One of the big things we always try to do here is just at least get you thinking a little bit. So yeah, there's a lot of data out there and the more we can use that data to make ourselves more money and make our ground better, yields better, all that kind of thing, it's important. So, uh, so how did things turn out on your farm this year, Josh? Uh, best year I've ever had on my farm. Nice. We're, we had uh, we had a, a a wet start and then uh, it got dry afterwards, but we had uh, probably the best wheat and soybean yields I've ever had. Awesome. Do you raise other crops too, or is it just wheat and soy? Um, I do have did raise barley for the first time this year. I've got some ground that needs drain tile, but I'm not to that point in my farming career to to quite get there yet. Sure. And it's not own ground; it's uh, rented ground. And gotcha. to, to deal with the salt, I decided I better start raising barley and getting ahead of it rather yeah. than looking back and going, I wish I'd have done that. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point that you bring up because a lot of people, it, it just feels like to me sometimes we keep doing the same thing, banging our head against the wall. You're switching the crop because barley does handle salt better. It handles high pH better than even wheat. So I, I mean, did that turn out okay then for you or how'd that go? I grew in a lot of spots that I haven't seen uh, wheat grow. We, uh, yeah. It did turn out fairly well. I, I better was more impressed with the barley yield than I've been on the wheat yield for that crop for, for ground the last couple of years. Yeah. So I was really happy with that. I did change up uh, uh, quite a few things on my farm this year that I think helped. Uh, we flag leaf fungicided all the wheat. And in talking to my neighbors, I think that, that we hit one of those years where 
like you talk about, I think it paid for flag bee fungicide for the next 10 or 15 years. Yep, my dad would often talk about how you're going to struggle a little bit on the farm sometimes, but the hope is that sooner or later you're going to hit the home run, and when you do, you just have to capitalize on it. And, yeah, it's it's important because you just don't know when those diseases are going to show up. And I'm glad you brought up flagleaf fungicide because that's the timing that we see the fewest number of farmers spraying, but it's often where we get the biggest return as opposed to, I mean, herbicide timing's good and heading timing is good, but that flagleaf thing, that's a big deal. So what got you thinking you wanted to spray at that point? Uh, so I've, I've watched some stuff with, uh, it's Real Wheat Pete out of Canada, and he talked about it, and I went to you guys' um, to your wheat and your bean and your biological conferences this winter. And I looked at it there and I thought, you know, let's, let's try it. And it's one of those, the prices are good. Why don't we try it? And I didn't leave a test strip, but I walked all my (laughs) neighbor's fields next to me. And my flag leaf looked terrible, but it was still there and they didn't have a flag leaf. Oh, wow. And that really, and it was so wet about middle of June I think anything would have fungicide it. And, and, yeah. and to back this up, nobody in our area fungicides beans. Mm-hmm. And I think I made a huge mistake not putting fungicide on my beans because you could find black spots on the plants as you were walking through them. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know that people have lots of success with fungicide in wheat and a lot in corn too, especially with diseases like tar spot. But for me, for a long time, I just have felt spraying our soybeans. We've gotten great response. And so I just feel like it's something we have to do too on our farm with, with soybeans. So we sprayed all our beans twice, sprayed all our corn twice. And yeah, I just, I I figured I can't take the chance that in this great commodity price year, I'm going to have a disaster out there. So anything you're thinking about going uh, like different for next year, Josh? Um, so I did do a, I, half of my farm was on a CSP program and they had me do a, um, variable rate fertilizer. Yeah. And I finally just, I was looking at wheat yields where I was doing straight rates and I went, you know, we've got sand on one side. This is, this <laughs> is a, a bad idea. So everything went to variable rate Yeah. for next, for this year that, that, that we put fall applied nitrogen on. Yeah. And then, uh, we split applied because I, I was raising corn for a long time, it's just it's the agronomics are hard. Twenty miles from Canada, yeah. getting back in to do anything the next year. Yep. And when I was split applying nitrogen in corn, why aren't we doing it in wheat? And I, I look at other countries that have lost their nitrogen, yeah. and I just thought it's it's going to happen to us. So why not be ahead of the curve and know how to make money on the same amount of nitrogen? You know, it's a hundred pounds, but it's split in my. The two fields I did it in, it actually took the worst part of my field and made it out yield the best part of my field. Nice. We gained um, six-tenths of a point of protein. Yep. It was a little wetter, but it was a morning. We we took two truckloads to see the pro- protein difference. Yeah. We combined the one at 1 o'clock and one at 4 o'clock. Well, that half a point of, pro- of moisture can happen then, but it really it really made such a big difference. I... I probably shouldn't have jumped in with both feet, but I went, this is, I mean, if we're doing it with corn and yeah. watching stuff, just a YouTube and, and talking to different people, like this is, this makes sense. Why aren't we doing this? So it's another pass in the sprayer, but I own the self-propelled sprayer. Sure. Why not capitalize on the, on the uh, payment? Josh, this has been all great stuff. I, I'm just so happy for you that you're experimenting with some new things. Things are working out for you, that you had your best year ever. So uh, congratulations on all that. Great job. We hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Josh.
Yep. Thanks. Have a good day. Yep. You too. All right. Next on, uh, let's see, and I'm trying to get this pulled up here. Janelle, you might have to uh, help me out here. Oh, no, I think I got it now. Uh, just having a little problems with my controls. Uh, I got Patrick calling in from up in Ontario, Canada. Hey, Patrick, how, how have things been going up in Canada for you? Uh, not too bad. We're, uh, we're uh, kind of dry, actually. It's not, uh, we haven't had any much rain or really much snow to speak of at all in the last, you know, I'd say quite, you know, three to four weeks. Yeah, it had been two and a half years for us of about half normal rainfall until last night when we get uh, supposedly somewhere between an inch and two inches of precip, mostly in the form of snow. So it's the, a tremendous amount of snow, the most snow I've seen in a single snow event in several years. So, But anyway, I guess it's moisture and our ground isn't completely uh, hard. So. Uh, so so, what are you working on in your farm now or what are you planning on going into next year? Uh, well, I'm actually... Uh working in some lime right now uh, oh. just like the previous caller uh, and, and you know both variable rates and i went and spent the money and had the farm uh grid sampled in two acre samples yep and uh there was a lot of spots that needed lime and and uh, just the cost of everything now we uh we did it uh, according to the soil samples on variable rates and Great. Yeah, yeah. We we made the mistake years ago of doing lime on much bigger grids or zones, and we just screwed it up. So we put lime where it didn't need to go, hurt our yield, cost us money. So I, I mean, great job getting those those smaller grids. So anything else you're doing with variable rate other than the lime? Um, from here on out, uh, like probably when it comes to the spring and stuff, to the field, I plan on putting soybeans in uh i will probably do potash and stuff like that variable rate as well sure uh spots that are lower will get more and spots that are decent will get what it's going to need or a little extra yeah yep yeah that's the best way to spend the money so it's worked out really well for us so anything else that's happening right now in your area not, not really. Most of the stuff is wrapped up. It's just uh, I would be done too. I was going to no-till the beans into this, but uh, with a ton and a half of lime per acre, I, I thought it would be best to till it and get it get it activated as soon as possible. So. Yeah, it'll work in no-till that lime, but it does uh, go a lot quicker when you till it in. So you're right on with that. Well, hey Patrick, it's been great talking to All you right. today. Thanks a lot. Good luck with the rest of what you got to do there on the farm this fall. Thanks, Brian. You bet. It's Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to your questions in the AgPHD mailbag in just a little bit, but we'll go back to the phone lines right after this here on AgPHD Radio.
What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts. We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Scene B wants to help make your holidays John Deere green. With in-store selections of toys, lifestyle products, and collectibles, we have something for everybody. Make a list, check it twice, and find that perfect gift at your nearest CNB store. With 10% off going on now through December 31st, don't delay, shop today. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now, when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Cedric did. He's our friend from down in Louisiana. Hey, Cedric, how you been? Brian, we're doing well. Wish you had some of this warm weather we're experiencing. It's like 82 today. Uh, yeah, that would be really nice. We had almost a foot of snow last night, and I had to drive 20 miles an hour on the interstate for a little while. I was coming back from North Dakota. So anyway, yeah, uh, I, I, I would I would really like that warm weather of yours. So so what are you getting done on the farm right now? What's happening down there? Uh, a lot of maintenance, man. Uh, you know, uh, just doing a lot of maintenance and uh, trying to get some things greased up and taking care of some uh 
some very old equipment we're going to try to get another season out of. Sure. So what crops do you raise on your farm, Cedric? Uh, I just produce hay, man, uh, Bermuda and, and Bahia uh, uh, hay. Um, sell it to maybe 75 customers now from Texas to Alabama. And wow. most of my customers this year was over in Texas. So they had a drought over that way, and they really didn't get a chance to really uh, you know, grow hay. So, yeah, most of the guys were uh, sending trucks in from uh, Texas this year. Wow. So when you talk about your hay production, um, so – we have what we call four seasons around here. So obviously we're not harvesting any crops over the winter time. But how is it right. down in Louisiana? Is it uh, like for, for your hay, is it pretty much the same kind of crop every month? Or what what season's the best for your hay and what season's the worst? Oh, we just, uh, you know, Bermuda and both Bahia grasses are uh, summertime hay. So our grasses, that is. So we just produce, you know, between first cutting is around Memorial Day weekend, and we try to shut things down. Uh, the latest is October, mid-October probably. And uh, mm-hmm. then we're soil testing, um, uh, re- you know, planting, uh, purchasing fertilizer and that kind of stuff, and, and basically just doing maintenance. But, yeah, sure. you know, anytime between May and October, man, we can grow grass here in Louisiana. <laughs> So you brought up the soil test thing, and I was talking about that a little bit earlier in the show. So has there been anything that stood out to you on that in the last couple of years? Anything you've had to do where you go, we haven't really done much of this before, but now I think I should try this other fertility product? Well, Brian, I've been listening to you guys uh, several years now, and we used to uh, actually go to one spot in some fields. And now we've uh, broken it down to, uh, you know, uh, grids, uh, one acre or two acre grids on several of our fields. and. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the price of fertilizer, I'm telling you guys who are listening, if you got a pasture, you need to really think about grid sampling. You can't just go into a pasture and, and take two or three samples around each tire of the tractor and say, all right, we got enough. Yeah, if you break it down to, you know, uh, acres, yeah, you can really see the difference where you can really uh, save some money because some parts of the field might need more nitrogen than others, and you can use that in another pasture possibly. So how heavy is your soil? It's, it, most of it's fairly light, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a sandy loom. You know, uh, it's very light. Yeah. So, so when we talk about, you just brought up the nitrogen thing. So how often do you have to put nitrogen on that grass? Well, uh, actually, we have to spoon feed it. I yep. learned the, uh, is the way you talk about it, spoon feeding. Mm-hmm. You know, with the sandy loom like ours, um, if not, you know, you're just wasting money, basically. Um you know, after every uh, cutting, we try to get out there as soon as possible with more nitrogen. We soil test between seasons. As, I mean, throughout the season, we try to uh, soil sample after every cutting. After every cutting, and then we'll go ahead and uh, you know apply the fertilize. You know, according to the uh, results. Sure. So, in other words, with these tests you're running fairly often, those are probably just straight nitrate tests then. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we use uh, Midwest uh, Labs, and they give us a, uh, a good breakdown on everything that's going on. Yep. So what else do you do to make that hay crop great? <laughs> Cutting it before it rains. That's the <laughs> best thing we could do. And don't let the grass get too uh, mature because, you know, it starts eating out. Uh, the value of it is not that good. And I think that's what's been good about our farm and our reputation so far that people in Texas, that they know – uh, we even get it, you know, uh, tested as well. The hay product as well. We send it in for samples as well, and we try to, you know, keep the protein anywhere between ten to thirteen. And doing that with bahia grass, uh, that's 
that's really pushing it. Bermuda, the 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 protein level is usually pretty good anyway. But Bahia, you know, after three four weeks, it started dropping off real fast. Okay, so neither one of those grasses were growing up here, the Bermuda and the Bahia. So, <laughs> so, so why the two grasses? I mean, what's the? You mentioned it's harder to get good protein in the Bahia grass, but I mean, why are you raising the two rather than just one kind of grass? Uh, uh, inherited uh, some fields that had Bahia grass already established, and it's too expensive to go rip it all up and just put you know common Bermuda or or Lisa Bermuda grass out. It's, uh, you know, that, that'd be very costly. So, and I think, you know, in, in Florida, Louisiana, Texas, uh, Georgia, Bahia, you can just have a field ripped up and dist open and, and laying out there and Bahia just pop up out of nowhere, sir. Hmm. So yeah. which one are you getting more tonnage out of the Bermuda? Yes. Yes. Always, always more tonnage out of Bermuda, but you know, it's less, um, it's a denser grass, so uh, you know it grows very, uh, you know, thick. So yeah, but however, Bahia, you know, you get some hot afternoons and some afternoon showers. It'll it'll start regrowth quicker than Bermuda grass would. So, is there ever a time where you're able to get like an extra cutting on the Bahia or anything? Yes, um, we've uh, got four cuttings this past year on some Bahia in a couple of our fields, and um, you can always get, you know three to four cuttings off the Bermuda fields, but the Bahia four to five is, is not uncommon, especially if we get some good rain in July and August. You can get out there every five weeks and knock it down. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it, it's always fun talking to you, Cedric, because you're just in such a different area than we are. And <laughs> we, I, I, yeah, I wish I had your weather, but uh, I, I am kind of happy that we've got maybe a little bit heavier soil than you. But yeah, lots of differences yeah. there. But anyway, hey, we want to wish you the best of luck and uh, wish you a Merry Christmas as well. Thanks a lot for calling into the show today. We appreciate it. No problem, Brian. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, with uh, with Cedric and and his grass down there, it's uh, it's just it's kind of a whole different world. But it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's still the United States. It's still agriculture, and there's just there's a lot of opportunity when you manage things well. And so that's why it's it's just fun to to talk to farmers anywhere and see. Okay, what are we doing that's new and different? And what are you finding that helps the ground and helps the yield and and really quite frankly helps more people out there. So anyway. Uh, very exciting and uh, and always great talking to somebody from a different area than our own here. All right, um, we uh, we got just a little bit of time for our, before our next break, so I'm going to try to get to a couple of these Ag PhD mailbag questions. So uh, so let's hit it right now. It's the mailbag. Okay, uh, this first one comes from Ryan, and he says, "Hey guys, I got a question about um, ESN." I farm in Minnesota, and my soils are clay loam. And by the way, this ESN, it's like uh, controlled-release nitrogen. Uh, anyway, he, his question here is this. He says, I thought about putting 100% of my nitrogen in the strip. And he says he's got cat exchange capacity around 20. Uh, but, but with his nitrogen in the strip, he's talking about maybe two-thirds urea, 
and a third ESN with the idea that the ESN eliminates the side dressing since it will come available later with kind of that controlled release nitrogen. Anyway, I'm figuring the extra cost of the ESN is roughly similar to the cost of running the tractor through the field for the side dress pass. With our heavier soils in this area, ESN isn't used much, and there doesn't seem to be much local knowledge about how quickly it breaks down in our conditions. I wouldn't want it uh, I wouldn't want to have it become available too late, but a release right in the root zone throughout the first half of the summer seems like it could be perfect. I'll probably give it a try in a few passes, but I was curious your thoughts as well. Yeah, Ryan, this is something we've talked with even that company about with ESN that, you know, it, it maybe doesn't necessarily belong on every acre. You don't need to spend that money on every acre. But if you had a portion, let's say it was 30% or 40% or maybe even 50% of your nitrogen was controlled release somehow some way whether it being ESN or something else that could be a really good thing so no I'm, I'm totally with you with a fall strip till I don't know that I would do it with a spring strip till since you're right before the crop's going to need it now I'm pretty interested in that so yeah I, I think what you're talking about is a good idea you might change the ratio maybe two-thirds one-third should be 60 40 or 50 50 I don't know you can experiment with that but it sounds like a good idea. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Pasture spraying season is upon us, and your spray window may be longer than you realize. Many weeds like musk thistle and Canada thistle are still able to be controlled after a few light frosts. If you've got some ground that's losing productivity to invasive weeds, turn to proven answers like Weedmaster and Burnmaster from New Farm. Go to newfarm.com forward slash US crop to learn more. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Stay in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. 
Agroliquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, Agroliquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. Agroliquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. We're taking your calls and questions today, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Scott calling in from down in Arkansas. Hey, Scott, how are you? Yeah, Brian, how are you, brother? Fantastic. So what's happening in, in on your farm right now? I mean, how's the weather down there and everything? Well, we've um, we had a, the best fall harvest weather in my lifetime. Uh, nice. It's absolutely perfect. I mean, it's no rain, never got rained out, uh, north wind. You just couldn't ask for a better harvest in Arkansas than, than we had. Uh, took us a while to get wet. We just recently got wet this week. Uh, matter of fact, got lots of fall tillage done. We hadn't got to do in four or five falls. Uh, really probably in good shape. You, you're reluctant to say that in agriculture anymore because something always happens yep. unforeseen. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, are, we are as far as getting our harvest out, getting our ground prepared for next year. We're, we're in much better shape than we have been the last four or five. Hey, you mentioned north wind. Why is north wind helpful for you in the fall? You know, north north wind for us does a couple of things. It, you know, it, it takes the moisture out of the grain that we're harvesting. And, you know, I'm a rice farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want that north wind. It helps dry down the crops uh, without having to use something to help dry down the crops. Yep. And uh, we, did, we had that, all, we literally had that all fall low a uh, light north wind, low humidity, and no rainfall. Just absolutely perfect. Yeah, when I look at the U.S. drought monitor, um, it's been pretty dry all through the fall. And so, I mean, there are a lot of people hoping for rain just like you got this week and I got this week. So, I, I mean, I'm I'm not concerned about next year. I think we'll get recharged and everything else. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's been pretty dry a lot of places. So, you had the best fall harvest weather. Did Oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. We got the tractors back out. We washed the last one for the third time this week and put it up finally for the fall. It kept drying back up, Brian. We couldn't we couldn't stay out of the field. You know, we said, well, we'll do one more, you know. But, yeah. We had one time, I think, where we thought, oh, we're all froze up, and then it was literally the middle of December, and we were able to go back out to all our fields and put anhydrous ammonia on. This is, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. So people want to talk about this global warming thing, and I go, I don't know. I mean, we got a lot of snow. It's been cold here and whatever. But anyway, I, I was just curious. You said you had the best fall harvest weather. How was how were the yields in that harvest? I mean, were things good on your farm? You know, my, my rye shields held up very well. Uh, I'm all hybrid. Um, my rye, maybe 2 2.5% off of normal. But we had an absolute brutal June and July. I mean, nothing. We went 61 days without any measurable rain. Oh. 
and uh, you know, I, our we grow in my rotation. We grow rice and soybeans, long grain white rice, and um, we we had a. Uh, the, the rice was okay, but our, our bean crop suffered, you know, and, yeah. and it's kind of ironic that across the board, they say that we had a record soybean crop, you know, because we just didn't have it here. And it wasn't 100% irrigated, and we still couldn't save the crop here. Well, I mean, it was just, it was too hot and too dry for too long. We need a rain in July. I don't care what day it is, but sometime in July, we need a rain. And we were very, very fortunate after June and July, you know, because August is usually our hot, dry month, and it turned around, and the temperatures broke, and we we had a couple weeks of rain. And it, and it just, we were very blessed to get that. I'll bet you that 98% of our listeners don't raise rice. So talk to us just a little bit about rice, because when they hear you say, and when I hear you say, well, we had drought, but by the same token, aren't you flooding the rice, and you you pump the water in in advance? Or tell us just how, how does that work exactly? At what point do you flood the ground? I mean, like what month out of the year, and, and when do you take the water off and things like that? Yeah, you know, we, we we plant sometime in April, depending on, you you know, judging the weather, you know, we plant sometime in April. And then usually in about five weeks, we go to a permanent flood. And the flood is, rice is an aquatic, but it's actually a semi-aquatic, so it don't require, you can actually, they row rice water, water down the road, just like uh, row crops. But in my particular area, we flood irrigate, so... Once we we put our big shot of nitrogen on, like you talk about your anhydrous, it's, yep. it's, we put it on five weeks after or after we planted roughly. We go it's in late May, first of June. We go to what we call permanent flood. Yep. And we go permanent flood to, to hold our nitrogen in the ground, you know, so the plant can utilize it. And then and we also get weed control. Because that, uh, you know, we, we, we took care of our weed problems up to that permanent flood, you know, made our final application, and then that water allow, don't allow anything to come through it. So at what point do you take the water off and then eventually you harvest? Okay, you know, we rock along there, and somewhere around the 10th, the 15th of August, we uh, start, in, and I'm in northeast Arkansas, so it's a little okay. different, you know, for listeners. Sure. It, it would be south Arkansas or Louisiana, but in northeast Arkansas, around the 10th, the 15th of August, we start uh, terminating our water. You know, we'll, we'll start uh, slowing our water down, our, our irrigated part of it. And then around the 10th of 15th, we will go into a drain situation where uh, we have PTO ditches uh, that are in the field, and we'll literally drive like a high crop tractor through there and drain these fields so that if we catch any rain, our fields will dry back up. And uh, after we drain the field, usually about the 1st of September, Sometimes a couple of days in August, but usually about the first of September, we start harvesting, and then we harvest rice to around the third week of October, fourth week or third fourth week of September, and then right around the first of October, first to the tenth, we start soybeans here. Well, 
Scott, thanks for the Rice Growing 101 education there. We we appreciate that. Let me just ask you one last question about the rice, though. What's your biggest challenge to raising a great crop every year with rice? Well, it all, every every crop starts with stand. You know, you get the stand you want, you know, and then, and then it's, it's basically up to you, you know, hitting your numbers, your timing, your, your nitrogen timing, your, your, your water, keeping it watered throughout the year. And then what you don't want, I mean, Mother Nature always has the ability to take a good crop away from you. And this year, even though we were so hot, even though we were so hot, we had a lot of, a little bit lower, anything above 75 degrees at nighttime, it don't get below 75, it starts hurting our rice crop uh, quality-wise, you know, which is called milling. And uh, you know, we were right on the verge of that, but we didn't we didn't get that this time. And, and uh, you know, in other years when we've had something similar to this, we we've had a poor miller, which is also a poor quality and a, a lower price at, at the market. You know, but uh, that's that's the number one thing. And you know, just keep keeping your irrigation going. And it was a very very challenging year for irrigation. You know, we don't we don't, we we couldn't grow anything without irrigation in in the area I'm at. And uh, you know we we use so much irrigation on our rice uh, because of June and July. Not normally we we've really reduced that with a lot of technologies and, and decreased the the number of inches we use in a year uh, a lot through new technologies. But this year it, we just couldn't get away from it, and uh, you know we didn't have the water to to irrigate the beans and even where we irrigate the beans it, it didn't help because it's so hot and dry. yeah i mean you guys are so much hotter than we are and then to think you didn't have moisture for 61 days that's really something hey scott we really appreciate all the insight into uh, how to raise some good rice down there and we want to wish you the best of luck and wish you merry christmas as well thanks for calling in merry christmas you guys Well, it's Farmer Friday. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this to answer your questions. And if you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Commodity Classic has everything you need to take your farming operation to the next level. Nationally known thought leaders, a huge trade show with the latest ag innovations, outstanding education that will help you prepare for the next generation of farming, and networking with thousands of farmers from across the nation and beyond. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, 
two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts? We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. Back to the Egg PhD Mailbag. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio here on a Farmer Friday. This next question comes in from John, who has a whole bunch of soil test information and, uh, and manure data for us. And basically, this is the question. He says, I was wondering if you'd take a look at my samples because I'm afraid I'm getting a little strong on phosphorus. And so I, I would just say, John, when I look at your soil samples, what I see is you're running a, a, a Bray analysis. So there's the weak Bray, P1, and the strong Bray, P2. The weak Bray, or P1, tells us what's available today. And you got in the range of, for most of your samples, 50 to 100 parts per million, which, quite frankly, I do not think is too high. Your P2 is in the range of uh, 60 to 130, something like that. What the P2 or strong beret tells us, that's what's available today, plus what they think is going to probably come available over the course of the next growing season. So I would just say, um, I, you know, if you're going for big-time yield, then I, I really don't think it's it's that crazy. The one thing that I would tell you is your your soil is not super heavy. So a lot of the samples I'm looking at, 13 cation exchange capacity, 12, 17 is some. So it's a lot of kind of medium, what we would call medium textured soil. So we got to be a little bit careful with manure and leachables like nitrogen and things like that. But one of the things that when I was looking at your soil tests, unfortunately, I don't have nitrogen data. I also don't have sodium and soluble salts. And one of the biggest things I'm always concerned about when we're doing a lot of manure is how are our sodium and salt levels doing? Because it's possible that you could be exceeding both. So that's my number one concern. Number two, when you talk about phosphorus levels being too high, I don't I, I don't necessarily think they are. And, and just a couple of comments that John also had here was uh, he, he says... I, I did some 
uh, tillage, some plowing down to 12, moldboard plowing down to 12, 13 inches deep to try to relieve any nutrient stratification issues and also to try to put some more of the phosphorus down a little bit deeper so it's not all in the top. I think those are all great ideas and you don't have to moldboard plow every year or anything like that, but even once every 10 years, you would solve the stratification issue, get more of those nutrients down where you have more moisture so you can survive better in a drought year, things like that. But anyway, with the phosphorus, my concern for you isn't so much how high the phosphorus is, but rather how low the zinc is. I was just looking at some of our data right before the radio show and looking at what our phosphorus to zinc ratio kind of needs to be to maximize yield. And with these kind of tests, so if I look at the P1 versus the zinc, what our data has shown is we want to be somewhere around 10 to 1. Well, if you're at 100 parts per million on P1 phosphorus and a bunch of your soil tests are only showing us 3 to 6 parts per million on zinc, it's just not quite enough zinc. So if it's me, I'm probably going to get a little bit more zinc out there. I'd also take a, a look at copper. I think your copper levels are pretty good. Um, it, it, it's certainly not bad because there we found about a 30 to 1 ratio for phosphorus to copper has been pretty good with that kind of test. But my, my two other concerns for you are always in that medium textured kind of soil, sulfur and boron. In addition to obviously you got to manage the nitrogen. But with sulfur and boron, they're somewhat leachable as well. Well, your boron levels are quite low, 0.4 to 0.7 parts per million. And sulfur levels are, uh, you got some single digits, but a lot of them 12 to 16 parts per million. So those two things could be limiting your yield. So here's where I'm going with all this. And for Everybody listening today, the object of looking at a soil test is to try to figure out what are my yield, biggest yield limiting factors as I look at the soil test. And so literally for one year, you could probably put on no P, no K in these, in these tests, but you could invest your dollars instead in, of course, nitrogen because it's medium textured soil. You can only put so much on at a time, but spend your money on sulfur, on zinc, on boron, and you're probably going to end up with even better yield without spending an arm and a leg. So just something for you to think about there. But no, I don't think you have anything that's way out of whack, but I'd really like to see the sodium and the salt levels. Okay. Uh, next one here is from Wyatt, and he wanted us to watch this video about this Dr. Peterson and, and some information he's spreading in our industry. And he, he goes, I used to be a big fan of this guy, but I've kind of changed my mind. Uh, it was a really short video, and it basically said that corn is cheap because it's subsidized. Well, that's nonsense. I haven't gotten a subsidy payment on my farm in, I don't know, 15, 18 years, something like that. So anyway, the other side of it was that cows can't digest corn. I'm like, what? That's not right. That's not true. Cows can digest corn just fine. Oh, yeah, he was saying cows can't digest corn, and it makes them sick. So anyway, I have no idea what he's talking about, but that's obviously false. So, yeah, it's unfortunate when people who, you know, don't really understand agriculture start talking about agriculture and, and spreading mistruths. All right. Uh, next one comes from Eli, who says, I couldn't help but notice y'all are running out of weeds that are actually realistically biologically a problem on a producer's field, watching far-fetched native perennials that are now becoming a weed, a plant out of place, I get it. Uh, I graduated college with an agronomy degree, which makes me sad, thinking of the influence you have to sell such a bad Kool-Aid and message. Um, Eli, I'd just say, yeah, a weed is just a plant that, that 
is growing somewhere where we do not want it to grow. If we're in a cornfield or a bean field or a wheat field and I've got any other plant species out there, I want to get it under control. Otherwise, it's taking away from my yield. And that's not a good thing. So it's not saying that uh, native perennials, we want to kill them everywhere. We're just simply talking about in fields. So anyway, uh, yeah, I I guess I'll leave it at that. All right, next one. Uh, Let's see. Uh, This is from Irfan, who says, I'm a farmer from Pakistan. I recently started a YouTube channel to let uh, to help our people be more educated and come out of the traditional farming by understanding ag scientifically. Having said that, I want to use some of your videos to be translated or dubbed into my language for the knowledge of my people. Uh, yeah, Irfan, uh, we have absolutely no problem with that. We do things in a number of different foreign countries with people like yourself. So, yeah, we're certainly uh, we're certainly open to that. All right, next one here is from Clint. He says, "Hey guys." And Janelle. (laughs) Janelle, by the way, if you're listening, that's our sister. She's actually producing the show for us today. But anyway, here's his question. He says, did they change the Zyway label saying that it can be applied in furrow with higher rates of fertilizer? Example, someone using a low salt product or even water at five to six gallons per acre. Have you guys been using it in furrow? I struggle to think it works as well when applied with the uh, like a two by two system or something rather than on the seed. Okay, Clint. Um, I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't know that they have changed the label. I don't think that they have, but, but let's put it this way. What we learned after the first big year of Zyway being out a couple of years ago is this. If we can keep it off the seed, then it makes it makes things way safer because what we know about any triazol fungicide and Zyway is a triazol, it can inhibit, um, the plant growth hormone, gibberellic acid. And you think about gibberellic acid, well, we put that on crops so we get more elongation of the stem. So what what it's doing is it's shortening up or stunting the plants. It doesn't necessarily mean it's hurting yield, but a lot of people think, oh boy, it doesn't look good. And you know, we don't want people to see that. We don't want people to to see delayed emergence or anything else. So our advice to people has been keep it off the seed. And yes, it would help if you had more water or, or something like that. So basically you're diluting it down and you're giving it less chance to be bad on certain seeds. Because here's what happens a lot of times. Many farmers are putting very low rates of fertilizer in furrow. And if you actually watch the planter apply the fertilizer, it's spitting it out. It's like there's a drop and then nothing, drop and then nothing, drop and then nothing. Well, the problem is if the drop goes right on the seed, now you've got a high concentration or it could be the nothing spot that ends up, uh, you know, for the seed. So now you got, uh, now that seed grew just fine, but it also maybe didn't get as much Zyway into it. So anyway, if you can run through a two by two, if you can get, keep it off the seed, even for that matter, a band below the seed, two, three, four inches below the seed, they found actually works fairly well. So you just want it somewhere so eventually it does get into the plant. We've had good results. We've seen good results, even in a two by two or a deep band, something like that. You don't want to get it 10 inches deep or anything like that. But I, I mean, I, I just say keep it off the seed. And then you should have pretty good success without the stunting that some people have been concerned about in the past. 
right before we go i just want to say thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions thanks to everybody who called into our show today really always appreciate that especially in a farmer friday and thanks to you for listening be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio and now stay tuned for shark farmer radio